You're listening to The Common Good Show, a show designed to inform, inspire, and empower our listeners and entrepreneurs. Whether your goal is to live your best life, achieve business success, or foster a safe and healthy community, we bring you a holistic approach. And now, here's your host, Juanita Farrow. Welcome to The Common Good Show with host Juanita Farrow. And I am so excited about the show today because we are talking about the Good Samaritan who is my neighbor. I want you to think about that a minute. The Good Samaritan who is my neighbor. And we have the guest to talk to us about that this morning. On the show, we are having Dr. Kimberly A. Dobson. And now let me tell you a little about Dr. Dobson. Um, She currently serves as the Principal Management Officer for the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, otherwise known as the CDC, Surveillance Branch, Division of Healthcare Quality Promotion. She has also served as an adjunct professor for a local university for over 10 years. Leading up to her current position, Dr. Jobson most recently served as the HIV Prevention Director for the Georgia Department of Human Resources Division of Public Health, where she was responsible for the coordination of HIV prevention services, which included the Department of the State of Georgia HIV Prevention Comprehensive Plan. She has also provided administrative oversight in the development of DHR's HIV prevention statewide media campaign entitled Her Story, H-E-R, Story, targeting African-American women and PAUSE, targeting black gay men. She has been a volunteer for several years in local and international community-based organization churches and civic organizations, including Our Lady of Lords Catholic Church, the American Red Cross, South African Red Cross Society, Girl Scouts of the USA, Ladies of A&T, and the Suburban Atlanta Black Ladies League. In addition to her doctorate degree, Dr. Dobson also holds a master's degree in educational psychology. So please, Help me welcome to the show today, Dr. Kimberly Dodson. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Juanita. Thank you so much. And I'm just so excited to be here this morning talking to you. Well, we are excited to have you on the show today. I am so excited about this topic, the Good Samaritan, who is my neighbor. Now, what a great time to talk about that um, than what we are experiencing today. And I, I know we're getting, we'll get into that because one of the things that you say is serving the community, why we must seek justice for and offer assistance to those in need regardless of the group to which they belong. And I think that is a perfect message for where we are today. It is. It truly is. And I am, again, um, just heartened that you would take this opportunity to, to, you know, to kind of 
engage in the subject and to explore it a bit. This is not an opportunity mm-hmm. to do a lot of, you know, preaching to people, but just, you know, a good conversation mm-hmm. around some of the, the tenets and the values as it relates to, you know, being neighborly. What does that mean? How does yeah. that play out in each of our lives? Yes, absolutely. Now, Speaking of being neighborly, you have been intimately involved in community work. And, um, you know, and before, you know, the sheltering at home or staying at home, there were a lot of things that you were doing in the community. So I want you to take a little time and talk about that so we can put that into context for what we're going to talk about today. Because you're, you're not someone who just, talked about community work, you are someone who has experienced what that means. Oh, thanks. That's so kind of you to say. And um, just, you know, I'm so honored to be able to talk about serving and the service that I render to the community because it indeed is an honor. And I could not even begin this conversation just to share a bit about where I am and what I've done leading up to this place that we find ourselves in without really first acknowledging my extraordinary parents, um, James Mm -hmm. and Dorothy Dobson, who raised me with these principles that uh, Mm -hmm. community Mm -hmm. services is not just something that we want to do. It's something that we must do. And mm-hmm. I took their lead. They were, a, we, you know, were blessed to grow up in a family. They met in college and their love actually, you know, birthed us and then it birthed the community spirit within the two of them. And um, they work well together as well as individually in the, in the community to serve all people. And so they made sure that we understood that this was not just something that you need to do or or that you can do if should you have the time to do, it's something that you must do. So I started really early on in my life not only watching the model that my parents put forward, but also being engaged in an early age because we were also a part of some of the work that they did, and they put us in organizations that also shared that type of uh, philosophy, if you will. So the work that I'm doing now is an extension of that. And what that certainly is is just working with different groups of of individuals, and I am currently a Girl Scout leader, and I have a multi-level troop, meaning that I have different ages and, and different ethnicities are in my group. And the girls themselves have been blessed in many ways in that they have, you know, their products of, are actually now in, um, engaged in, in, in high-level education, and, and most of them, if not all of them actually, are coming from very uh, good quality families, you know, whatever that looks like for everybody, meaning that they have the blessings of, you know, good health care and good housing, and, and then I talked about good education. And so what does that mean? That meant that I shared with them, we are not just a troop of women or young women who are mm-hmm. going to have fun and go camping, we do good work in the community. We serve in the community. And what does mm-hmm. that look like? So what we tend to do and what I do, not just through Girl Scouts but through the other organizations, is to identify those issues that seem to be most pressing that we can address in our own small ways. And let me just say this, that when you are addressing mm-hmm. issues, as much as they seem like to be overwhelming, one small step towards service is a giant step towards the end of whatever issue 
that you are trying to address. So I have done that in several different ways, and in particular, in in last way, um, I've been working on a lot of the health disparities that we deal with. And part of the work that I do with the Black um, Atlanta Suburban Atlanta Black Ladies League um, is we partner with Morehouse School of Medicine to deal with cardiovascular health in the African-American community, particularly mm-hmm. amongst African-American women. And part of what we do is, is just, you know, very basic education and awareness. And mm-hmm. so many women, African-American women in particular, do not even understand their great risk for cardiovascular issues, if you will. And or mm-hmm. what does it look like to really have cardiovascular health? So I've been doing that work as well as I've been doing work um, around um, menstrual health for young girls. And that's something that mm-hmm. our young girls have taken on, my Girl Scouts have taken on. How do we ensure that all girls have menstrual hygiene products? Because as you well know, if you don't have mm-hmm. menstrual hygiene products, Sometimes you're not able to go to school. And so mm-hmm. we deal with that in our community, of, um, in the Atlanta community, and that's where I, where I reside at this juncture, with all girls. Because sometimes we assume that everybody mm-hmm. has what they need, but oftentimes they don't have what they need. So what we want is access. What we try to provide is access. And that's what we've been doing through Girl Scouts and through the Suburban Atlanta Black Ladies League as well. Wow, that that is excellent. And I think when you talk about those things, especially the access and, and just, you know, meeting the basic needs, is we don't normally think about that in our country or, or this society. We think about that somehow someplace else, maybe another country, another a developing country Absolutely. perhaps, but not Absolutely. here. And so that there needs to be an awareness of what, what we have here, of what's going on here. There's a lack of awareness. And that's where we, you know, and that's in both of the organizations right now that I'm working in, but in the organizations I've mm-hmm. worked in up to this point, from the American Red Cross mm-hmm. and then also internationally South African Red Cross Society, that is exactly mm-hmm. what we seek to do is educate, build, mm-hmm. you know, uh, ways in which we can educate and increase awareness and then bring that to the community. But the other piece that we do is we ask questions of the community because one of the things that we don't ever want to do is go into any community, regardless of the community, and and pretend to know what the needs are. What we try to do is bring information into the community, have conversations of respect with the community, and then ask questions Mm -hmm. of the community in terms of what their needs may be for further work, if at all. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That is that is powerful. Make them a part of the process. Now, speaking speaking of that and and the awareness. Now, um, you mentioned and you talked a little about about disparities um, at the beginning of the show. Now, you've done a lot of work in the community, and so obviously today, where we find ourselves today, um, in the midst of COVID nineteen and all that we are dealing with as a society. How has the work that you've done in communities, um, how has that um, sort, of, uh, sort of laid the foundation for you for what we're seeing now created a better understanding um, or prepared you, in essence, to what we're dealing with today? 
So that's such a great question. And I will say just not only the community work, but actually I have been blessed to work professionally in in that arena. And I, you know, you mentioned in, in you know, up front in your di- wonderful description of uh, some of the things that I did. I, I actually mm-hmm. led um, the state of Georgia's HIV prevention uh, services uh, for uh, about 10 years ago for a couple mm-hmm. of years. And I dealt in that arena uh, with so many women and men and young people um, who were increasingly burdened with HIV infection, yeah. meaning yeah. there was an overrepresentation of um, these particular groups as it related to HIV infection. And that was very problematic. And, and professionally what I was tasked to do was really, number one, uh, identify which groups were at most risk for HIV and then also understand why uh, this happened to be so. And it's not unlike anything else. Uh, we, as through Healthy People 2020, which was the federal government's, uh, you mm-hmm. know, one of the federal government's initiative, uh, initiatives, rather, to really kind of identify benchmarks uh, around uh, preventative ways in which, you know, we could, you know, move the country towards better wellness, if you will, um, identified what we call social determinants of health. And, and, and really, you know, what, what is that? What is social determinants of health? And pretty much it just, it, it's, it's a way in which we seek to understand, you know, how people live and how the, that the ways in which people experience life impacts them. And mm-hmm. we understand that health starts in our homes, okay. our schools, you know, and, and, and in, in the workplace and neighborhoods and communities. But we also know that everybody doesn't experience health and, and, and wellness in the same ways in those particular areas. And so what does that then mean? What determines how people experience life? Well, housing or lack of quality housing, mm-hmm. lack of quality health care. What's going on in the schools? If your schools do not have, you know, appropriate HVAC systems, you know, or appropriate paint in them. How does that impact one? So all of these are the ways in which people begin to live, experience their lives, and it impacts on their health. And then they find themselves in these very uh, difficult positions of being overrepresented in the worst types of health outcomes. So this is no different with COVID-19 as it was no different with HIV and AIDS. It was not about you just were a black person or you just were a young gay male and and you just automatically attracted HIV. Absolutely not. It meant that Mm -hmm. there were some things that put one at greater risk. And in many instances, Mm -hmm. it had nothing to do with the choices that they made. It happened to do with the circumstances that they found themselves in. And this is no different. Uh And so what we Uh seek to do in many of the ways, in many of the areas in which I have volunteered and worked, is to dismantle, if we can, one layer layer at a time, these systems that put people, human beings, in places and in circumstances that they absolutely have no control over. And so we then identify in ways that we can, how we can best serve and assist to dismantle these systems or these, 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 these areas. 
so that they have better chances of better outcomes. These are people that are in my Mm -hmm. community. These are people that are in my family. These are people Mm -hmm. that given, you know, just who I am, you know, because I had the blessing of having, you know, a different uh, way forward because of a foundation built by my parents, I did not have to be challenged with that. But that doesn't make me better. That makes me more humble, Mm -hmm. and then it puts Mm -hmm. me in a better position to serve at a higher Mm -hmm. level to ensure that nobody has to do that or has to be, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that has to happen to them. And so, you know, many of the the problems that we see and that um, being experienced now are generational. And, you know, so over periods of time and, and generations in particular populations, you know, underserved, and, and, and the disparities also that's created as a result of that. And so what we're seeing with COVID-19 is a light um, that's shining now that is sort of uncovering, you know, what that is. It, it, it's not that it hasn't existed before because, you know, maybe people weren't aware of that, but COVID-19 has served to sort of shine a light on these pre-existing um, disparities that have always been there, right? Absolutely. And I think that's the point that they've always been here. And I think sometimes that, you know, some people may not know. I think it's it's, it's almost, you know, around the, the situation of, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you do not want to know in many instances. Mm-hmm. I think we mm-hmm. have gone about our lives in ways that, mm-hmm. you know, preclude us from looking at our neighbors, and yes. that's what this, you know, mm-hmm. discussion was all about. Well, who is my neighbor? It's not just the one that is in your neighborhood, the one that exists next to you and, and has similar type uh, situational realities that, at least from the outside, that one can see. Um, it's really about anyone in this world. That is your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And if you open up your eyes and escape from your bubble in many instances and really mm-hmm. accommodate a larger world view, then you'd see that your neighbors who are all around and not just in close proximity are having some challenges. And if you look in care enough to look beyond those challenges, you may understand why. But I think as we, you know, we are in a very social media savvy age right now mm-hmm. where everything mm-hmm. comes across a person's timelines and, you know, social media platforms and we're on, we see things on TV, we see that people don't always live in homes that, you know, may have the benefits of, you know, what we would consider to be um, decent environments to raise children in, to go in and live themselves as, you know, adults. We see and understand, I think most of us understand, unless we just don't pay attention to anything, that there are some schools that have better educational outcomes than others. We see Mm -hmm. that there are food insecure areas in our communities or outside our communities, which is why we're able to get in the car sometimes and choose to drive, you know, uh, places uh, further away to get to the Whole Foods or the, you know, the different Mm -hmm. uh, 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 grocery stores that provide, you know, uh, what we consider to be healthier choices for food. We see that. We, exi- we, you know, actually engage in that. But what we refuse to see is that a person is not always responsible 
for what they can't get to. What mm-hmm. we refuse to see is that a person is not always responsible for their circumstances. What we refuse mm-hmm. to see is that there are inequities, that some people have been given better chances for better outcomes. Because what happens is once there is that acknowledgement, some people feel then that may mean that I'm going to have to give up some of my advantages. And I'm not yes. saying that's everybody, but that could be one of the concerns. And so people refuse to see what they see. Mm. Ooh, on that note, people refuse to see what they see. Oh, that's a tweetable moment right there. <laughs> I'm loving it. And we definitely, we definitely need to have this conversation, and we all need to be having this conversation right about now because right now, you know, we're in a situation where we, we have to peel back the layers. You know, we can't just look at exactly what's happening. We've got to understand at a deeper level so that we can start to to solve some of the underlying problems that really has created a bigger problem for us as a society. So we're going to talk more about this, and we're going to dig a little bit deeper now. Um, This is really good. So we're going to take a short break now. Um, You've been listening to The Common Good Show with Juanita Farrow, and I've been talking to Dr. Kimberly Dobson, and ooh, we're having a great conversation now. So tune in. Don't turn the dial there. Turn away right back. Welcome back to The Common Good Show with your host, Juanita Farrow. And I am talking to Dr. Kimberly Dobson, and we've been talking about the Good Samaritan, who is my neighbor? I want you to think about that question. And by the end of this show, I want you to, to, to think about how it has impacted your life and what you now will do as a result of this, how you will see things maybe differently. I hope so, because we definitely need that in our country. So I want to bring um, Kim back on. And, and Kim, I want you to talk about your philosophy as it relates to community service, because that's where it really began. Okay. So I guess, you know, if we're talking about the Good Samaritan, I think that that kind of like mm-hmm. undergirds my philosophy around that. And, you know, like the Good Samaritan, you know, in, in, in the story, I think it was in, it was in the Gospel of Luke, and, and um, the Good Samaritan was actually an individual who after, um, who came along a, a, a man who had been beaten down, had been robbed and was not in a good place, and he was left half dead alongside a road. And first, you know, two religious leaders, a, a priest and, and a Levite, these were Jewish religious leaders, that, that doesn't make any difference. They just could have very well been Christian leaders. It just doesn't make, uh, I think, uh, any difference around that. But they were, um, it doesn't make any difference. They were just two individuals who were of God, who were workers in the vineyard, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and passed this uh, gentleman. And, and here comes a Samaritan who happens to not be, you know, anybody of note, if you will, and, and oftentimes was not, you know, a friend to many or, or seen as the, 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 of the religious sect, if you will, if I'm not mistaken. And he comes and he actually, you know, finds this traveler on the road and sees him down. He's the one that tended to him. 
and that mm-hmm. took him to where he needed to be and, and brought him to a place of a better place of wellness and then, you know, stayed with him until he did and then, you know, directed after he left that if he needed anything, you know, this traveler who was, you know, had found himself in, in a very bad situation, if he needed anything, he said, you know, he left money and said, you take good care of him. And that's basically the premise. I'm not a theologian or a scholar, so I don't, you know, want anybody to say that I didn't get the story right. But for me, that's the premise of the story. And what it suggests Mm -hmm. is that you don't have to be of any level or measure of of righteousness to be able to serve, meaning that Mm -hmm. anybody can serve. All right. And even though sometimes those of us who feel that, you know, well, let me get myself together and then I can provide service. The fact that you are living and breathing means that you can serve, even if you yourself need to be served, because we all need to be served at some point. And, you know, mm-hmm. in our daily lives, in our daily walk, today I'm doing well and tomorrow I may need to be served. And just needing to hear the voice of somebody else to give me strength, to give me, to give me hope. But that doesn't mean just because I need today that I can't serve today. So for me, the philosophy of service is that everybody can do it, and everybody should do it, and everybody must do it. And that's the thing about community service, and that's what my parents imparted upon us, is that we must serve. And I say that to everybody. There's nobody in this world that cannot serve. We must all serve. And, again, who must we serve? Our neighbors. And who is our neighbor? Everyone. I, I love that. Everyone. We're, you know, everyone is our neighbor. We're all in this together. And I think we're seeing that now as we're experiencing um, COVID-19 in our country. We're all in this together. You know, every person can impact the next person who can impact the next person. So what we do makes a difference for everyone at the end of the day. And what we don't do makes a difference. Exactly. And I didn't it mean to cut you off. Ways. I apologize. Yeah. No, no, no. That's okay. But but it's absolutely true. What we do and what we don't do makes an impact on our society. And for it seemed like for the first time, at least in my lifetime, we're seeing that firsthand. We are all in this together. It doesn't matter what state you're in. It doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. It doesn't matter what your religion is in this context. We are all in this together, and we are all having to be reminded that what we do and what we don't do is going to impact not only our lives, but the lives of many. And so let me say this, and let me say this, and that is so important, uh-huh. and ahead. I do want to say this. How, we are all in this together, but, again, how we are experiencing this is so very different. Here in Georgia, uh-huh. 80% sure. of the hospitalizations are with black people, African Americans. Uh-huh. We are overrepresented, according to CDC. African American uh-huh. people are overrepresented in COVID-19 in terms yes. of the, the, the infection. And that, that again, is problematic. And, and so then why is that? Well, you know, we think about this, and I just have to mention this again with COVID-19. This is not because people choose to go out and not social distance mm-hmm. because, you know, we'd like to see and not see, right, or we'd like to see but don't see. But the, the, the issue is it's not because people don't want to not social distance, but if you're in the low-paying jobs, 
okay, that mean you cannot work from home, then you're going out there. So you're at risk more than the individual who is able to shelter in place at home and go to work. If you are working these low or these service-level jobs, and they're not low at all, they're, they're very high in terms of what they're able to do for the community, then the service-level jobs are at greater risk. And so we tend mm-hmm. to look at, you know, the essential workers as being healthcare workers they are, and God bless them for all the work that they do. But the essential workers also include the sanitation workers. They also include mm-hmm. the postal employees. They also include the grocery clerks. They also include the, 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 the transit workers, okay? These are all people that are just as much at risk. And in the service industry, they are overrepresented by African Americans. And so, mm-hmm. and oftentimes African Americans, these same individuals, because their paychecks are not as high, are living in dwellings that are more densely populated, okay? And apartment complexes sometimes, living in homes that are not as large. Some people can go shelter in place, and we've been seeing them, and we've seen the celebrities who are saying that, you know, they're sheltering in place, and sometimes, you know, unfortunately they have had, you know, family members, and they've been able to shelter in place away from the families who have been, you know, they have themselves been infected, and they've been able to shelter in place away from their families in basements and in other rooms. If you're living in a smaller home or three-bedroom dwelling, I, I don't mm-hmm. know how much you can get away and isolate yourself from your other mm-hmm. family members. So we have issues around that. These are issues that have been ongoing that with COVID-19 yes. are decimating communities because of that, mm-hmm. because we did not do what we needed to do in terms of ensuring that quality housing was a right of everybody, not just those Mm -hmm. who could, quote, unquote, afford it. And so then we get into the fact of the matter with people who are trying to keep their families together, and if they don't have health care or insurance or, you know, they are not able to access quality health care or quality, uh, you know, appointments, in case something did happen, or let's look at racism. How are these people looked upon um, when they go into the hospitals and are seeking care? And although we know mm-hmm. healthcare workers take an oath to, to you know, go ahead and, 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 and you know, treat in an equitable, an equitable way all that comes mm-hmm. through their doors, and I'm not suggesting that they do not, we do know that there are differences sometimes. Yes. And so that's not just African-Americans. We're also talking about the elderly. How are they being treated? Are they, you know, vulnerable populations? They're very Mm -hmm. vulnerable. And so these are some of the issues that have happened and that are rendering, um, you know, the overrepresentation of the elders, not just because they have underlying health issues, but sometimes we have to wonder, why do they even have underlying health issues? Because, again, of social determinants of health. If the housing is not up to par, if health care is not of quality, if you don't get paid leave to even go home and take care of yourself, so you forces you to make a decision around, let me go out here and work, or if before all this started you knew you had a health issue, but you had to make a decision because pharmaceuticals or any type of medicine to take care of it was too expensive and you had to make a decision between buying a drug and buying you know, food for your family, and you went with the latter, 
then it does make sure then it does suggest that you have underlying health issues. And what we have to understand is why, when in certain communities, one in, in this world, when certain communities get a cold, other communities get pneumonia. Mhm. Mhm. Absolutely. And that's the reality Absolutely. of it all. And and we come to redefine what essential worker means. You know, because we can't do this. I mean, we can't do this without having people who work in the grocery stores, um, you know, without having people who who drive the truck. That's essential. We never thought of them as being essential. You know, we we sort of categorize people differently, you know, in in our society. Now, this also has uncovered who is really essential in our society. Maybe now things will change since we're looking at things, and, and according to COVID-19, we're looking at them differently now and redefining what an essential worker is. And so, you know, in that respect, it, it's really shining a light on things that have been in existence for a long time, and we've never really looked at them a certain way, but this is helping us to look at them differently. So I wanted to ask you, Kim, in, in your opinion, what are some of the greatest needs right now that must be addressed in our communities. And you, you talked about a little of those with, with housing and things like that, um, you know, where there's needs, you know, the basic needs that we're not meeting in some of these communities. Well, for me, in my opinion, some of the greatest needs that must be addressed in the community, you know, most certainly must first be, you know, an awareness. And I think there is a lack of awareness. And I'm not even talking about the communities that are most impacted by um, a lot of these issues that we speak to. I'm talking about an overall awareness. And you did mention early yeah. before maybe, you know, the light is now shining and we didn't see. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know mm-hmm. maybe we have to, you know, this is 2020 and everybody has been using that as a metaphor, but maybe we really need to ensure that everybody has 2020 as it relates to what's really going on. What's really Mm -hmm. happening in our world community, Mm -hmm. in our country's community, as it relates to health disparities? And then what Mm -hmm. do we do about it as it relates to the social determinants? Like, do people really understand how not having a decent education actually does impact your health? How not, you know, having decent housing impacts one's health and wellness? How not having Mm -hmm. a decent job with wages that one could, you know, with equitable wages, with wages, you know, that, you know, could actually pay for health care and, right. and quality health care. Right. How does that impact health A living wage. A living outcome? wage that allows a you to A living live. wage, right. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And what does mm-hmm. that mean when, you know, mm-hmm. we are living in an age when, you know, we have identified that, you know, within this coronavirus that people are falling ill in meatpacking plants and they have, you know, and the meatpacking plants have, you know, responded by finally deciding to close their doors, and now they've been ordered open. What does that mean? So we have to really pay attention to what does it mean to be marginalized. And so that means Mm -hmm. there has to be an awareness, because I Mm -hmm. do not believe in my mind that most people get up in the morning and seek to disparage and seek to live lives where others have opportunity and others do not. But what I do believe is that people do get up in the morning and do not make an intentional effort to pay attention to that. 
and mm-hmm. and they are not making it, you know, they're not intentional and, and, and really broadening their understanding to, you know, to, to include, I'm living like this, how are others living? Now, the argument right. could be that, you know, so much is going on in my life, I don't have time to think about other people. And I do believe that we have to, you know, prioritize ourselves so that, you know, we get ourselves and we're where we need to be before we help others. But I don't think we do it to the exclusion of knowing that, yes, we're going through, but others are as well. And what Mm -hmm. does that look like? Even before we make decisions as to what I can do and what I will do, because knowing Mm -hmm. that I should do and must do something, if not just going Mm -hmm. to the polls and voting. Right. Right. That's a big part of it. We do need to do that. But there's so many other things that need to to be done as well. And, you know, one of the things that Dr. King would always say, and and I'm paraphrasing, that it's really not just the ones that try to do harm and try to do damage. It's the so many of of the people who are silent when these things happen, who can use their voice, but who don't, who refuse to use their voice because they don't want to to be the outcast. So they don't want to um, rock the boat, so to speak. They're comfortable. And when they're comfortable, they don't use their voice to really shine a light for other people, for the least of these. And it's that silence that you hear many times or that you don't hear where you don't hear things um, that really uh, it, 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 we have to look at that too because we've, for so long we've known about some of these issues, but it's the silence around them that we're not doing enough to, to shine a light on them. So I, I absolutely And that's probably agree. the greatest injustice of all is the silence. Yeah. And, and, that's, yeah. and that's why, you know, if we bring awareness, you know, increase awareness, then it almost means that, you know, we have to really address the silence by saying, you know, this is here. This is where we are, and, and what are we going to do about it? And then, we, you know, we okay. have to break the silence. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and, and that's and what this should be about. It should be that's about what breaking this should the silence. really be about breaking the silence, and we do so by increasing awareness because at some point, mm-hmm. You just can't remain silent when you have the information Mm -hmm. in front of you. It's easier to do so when the information is over to the side or just waiting for you to, you know, go out and research it and bring it back when you're ready. You know, we Mm -hmm. cannot do that. We can no longer afford that truth anymore. And the few that are doing it, we need them to do it, but we need help to get it done. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you you obviously believe that, you know, serving in the community can yield a positive difference. You believe that? Oh, absolutely. I've seen it. Mm -hmm. I've seen it all Mm -hmm. my life, both professionally. Tell me about that. I've seen it personally. Well, professionally, I can tell you that uh, in my work with HIV and AIDS, um, we, not just the work that we did in prevention, but also in care and treatment, uh, you know, worked alongside persons all around the world to, you know, do just as what I'm saying, increasing awareness, you know, getting people together around, you know, uh, needing to believe that, you know, work needed to be done in the community with some of these other issues that I've spoken about earlier and just now. And it was, it was, it was done. 
And in so doing, it also aligned with the work that was being done in the scientific community so that we eventually saw rates of HIV go down. We eventually mm-hmm. saw people who could never get to, you know, treatment and who had died earlier on in disease now because they had support from both the professional community, you know, i.e. the state health departments and, and other organizations and nonprofit organizations who, you know, ramped up to go in the community with education. Behaviors were changed and, you know, um, people were bringing um, and behaviors not just by persons who were being infected, but by persons who believed that they were being infected by choices of their own. And because they understood then that this was not a choice that the people were walking out and doing things to put them at risk, they were then began mm-hmm. to lobby through their voices and through their vote to get monies into the community, to get monies to, you know, to the scientists, to get monies to the, you know, pharmaceuticals, to raise, uh, you know, to get medications and those things to the communities and to do compassionate care. And we've seen what that has meant. And we've seen the deaths decline. We've seen people who mm-hmm. have, you know, the infection rates decline. And we've seen also, you know, people live longer and healthier mm-hmm. lives. So we've seen it happen, and and from a you know, and that that couldn't have happened just you know by people working in the arena. It had to happen with volunteers. It had to happen with right. people who looked at people who were infected or at great risk of getting infected as as they should, as human beings, as themselves, as their neighbors, and together mm-hmm. we worked to get that done. Right. So it has yielded great results. And we have mm-hmm. to do that. But what we can't do is always wait for an infection to happen before we mobilize. We should continue mm-hmm. to mobilize so that this doesn't take, we don't, you know, allow a coronavirus to come into our, you know, into our communities and decimate us mm-hmm. before we decide that we have to deal with housing and education. Mm-hmm. Although the work we've done was great, it wasn't enough. We can't stop. We have to continue. Wow, that's, a, that's an excellent point. And so everyone, you say, in terms of how others can get involved in community service, we all should be doing something, no matter how small Absolutely. it seems. Do something. And you don't have to be in public health. You don't have to be in education as a teacher mm-hmm. or what we consider to be the traditional uh, community uh, service work. You can be an IT professional who lends your skills to young kids uh-huh. coming up or to elder adults who, you know, to bridge the digital divide or to, you know, um, families. And that's something that's going on now. You know, every kid needed to go home, but every kid wasn't going home equipped to do online learning. So uh-huh. you, don't, you can be in IT. You don't have to be a social worker to ensure that a child has the best chance for a healthy educational outcome. You can go into a school and, and, and teach kids how to, you know, uh, become code literate or computer literate, you know. So you don't have to be in a traditional role in your profession or you don't have to be in a traditional, um, you know, kind of volunteer organization. You can take that upon yourself. Whatever it is mm-hmm. you do from an accountant to, a, you know, an engineer to a construction worker to a truck driver, you can lend something to the community to make it better. Mm-hmm. Right. Whatever yeah, that and, better and, is. 
Because everybody exactly. has that power. Everybody has that power, right? And everybody can make a difference. Everybody you know, speaking, can make a difference. The sanitation worker is a yeah. hero and needs to be yeah. in the community and 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 strongly and in, in an empowered way teach others how to mm-hmm. be as such. Everybody you know, has no, that. No matter what you what what gift you have, you have a gift. And yes, use you that gift, use that talent, um, because it, you have it for a reason. And, you know, reach one, teach one. You know, every, you know, incrementally we can get through this if everyone does that. And I think you're so right, and that is so powerful. Never underestimate the difference that you can make in a community, even if it's just reaching one person that will make a difference in our community because then that person, um, because they're lifted up or because they're helped, can go on to help others, and it just grows Absolutely. so everyone can make a difference. But I know if as one, we speak if now, one dies, they, yeah. they will not be replaced. That's the point. Mm-hmm. You were here and uniquely mm-hmm. made to contribute mm-hmm. in a yes. good way to in our world. Way. Yes, absolutely. And I believe we are, we're born even before we were born, that is given to us. That gift is given to us. So we're born into this world to offer that um, to this world. Because I believe if the world was a gigantic puzzle, then each of us represents a piece in that puzzle. Absolutely. And if we each do our part, no matter how small that is, each do our part, then we're fulfilling a need. We're fulfilling our purpose for being here on that earth, on this earth, and we should Absolutely. not underestimate how powerful that is. Absolutely. So I there's agree. burnout, though, because as there we is. go through our day-to-day, you know, and, and the pity, many of people on the front line um, can get burned out. And so, you know, yeah. do, do you see that as being an issue, and how should we be addressing that? Oh, I definitely see it as being an issue, and I've, I've recognized that with so many. And 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 you know, and the thing about it is, is that we can't afford for that to happen because you just said uh-huh. we need everybody. So how uh-huh. do we address that? Well, number one, we make way. We make uh-huh. way and make space for others to join us. And uh-huh. you know, I'm very careful that whatever I do in my work life as well as in my, you know, personal life, that I'm always thinking about how I can make room for somebody else to come and work beside me and eventually work in front of me. Because I know that as I continue to move forward in age, that I will continue to step back in terms of ability. And I'm not saying around, like, as you age, you don't, you know, cognitively or physically um, have what it takes to make a contribution. But what I am saying is you probably don't have it at the same level of energy. And so what we Mm -hmm. need to do is make sure that we have enough people in place so that when we want to step back, and not just because we're aging, but because sometimes they're just competing priorities. Sometimes you have other responsibilities. Sometimes, you know, it's family uh, that comes into play and you need to spend more time or there are, you know, obligations in the work 
that, you know, require your attention. But what that means, though, is that if you have more people, then it doesn't make a huge difference if you step to the side. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you may have to not only just step to the side, you may have to step back. And that brings me to this. Always know when you need to step to the side and when you need to step back and not wait until somebody has to pull you aside and pull you back for your own health or the health of the work that you're trying to do. So just staying, number one, I guess if I were to say it differently, Mm -hmm. make sure you're always bringing people along Mm -hmm. with you as you're going on the journey of service. And number two, know when to step aside and know when to step back. And there can be several reasons for doing so. You know, it could be situational or it can just be, you know, a, a, a sense, when I mean situational, meaning, you know, temporary situational, it, you know, it just may mean that things are happening and you just have to step aside or step back. Or it just could be more permanent when you think it is time because you don't have the mm-hmm. energy level. But you do all mm-hmm. of that before you burn out, before somebody yeah. says, hey, you can't continue on at this level or your health is going to be compromised or your spirit will be compromised, or your finances will be compromised, because these are all re- realities of doing work in the community. We're talking about wholeness. We're talking about wellness. Your mental, your spiritual, your physical, your financial, your social, all need to remain in balance as much as you can. You can't give more to one and expect the others not to suffer. So it's about mm-hmm. balance. But if you're bringing people along with you, it's easier to maintain that balance. And then when you need to step aside to kind of regroup and recalibrate, you don't feel badly about it or guilty. Mm-hmm. You're able to do so because the work will continue more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, a, that's really an important point is to bring someone alongside you. I mean, we all need levels of support, but also an opportunity to share um, with someone um, and to along this journey, and um, that's a good way of thinking about it. And then at the appropriate time, step aside. But burnout is real, and so it's really important to to reach out if you're feeling overwhelmed. And we certainly know Absolutely. that so many people are feeling overwhelmed now, um, you know, in this environment. So the more we can do to support each other and to realize you're not in this alone, and the more we can say that, but not only say it, reach out, touch someone, you know, and, um, and walk with them along this journey as well. So this has and been for excellent. Help. That's the other piece. That, yeah. And I just wanted to say yeah. this too, just because you mentioned that. Yeah. Ask for help. There's no weakness mm-hmm. in needing help. That comes from a yeah. place of strength by identifying mm-hmm. that. And we don't mm-hmm. want to wait until it's later on as soon as you feel that you don't you're not balanced, that something is off a bit. Mm-hmm. Ask, mm-hmm. reach, seek. There's help out here. But if we bring it along mm-hmm. with us, then the person, the persons who are with us can oftentimes identify it before we can identify it for ourselves. That's the strategy. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is powerful. This has been Excellent, Kim. And we're going to take a short break now. And when we come back, we're going to um, let you have some final words that you may want to say um, to the listeners out there 
um, regarding our conversation this morning, um, the Good Samaritan, who is my neighbor, you know, talk to them a minute. And, um, you know, there may be someone out there listening to the show who um, may be right now at a crossroads and trying to figure out what to do or how they can help or maybe burned out. Um, but just take a few minutes and speak to them, and we'll let you do that when we come back. Um, you've been listening to The Common Good Show with Juanita Farrow, and this has been such an exciting show today. We've been talking to Dr. Kimberly Dobson, who has um, such knowledge and insight um, on this topic, both from a professional standpoint but also um, community service. And um, I want to bring her back after the break and let her have some final words with our listeners. We'll be right back. Don't you go anywhere. Welcome back. You've been listening to The Common Good Show with host Juanita Farrow. And I'm going to ask uh, Kim to come back and and to offer some final words for the listeners um, regarding what we've been talking about this morning. Kim, can you do that for the for the listeners? Certainly will. So just want to leave with, you know, in an upbeat way. You know, it's not always a bad thing to speak truth. And it's not always a, a um, negative thing or, or a sad thing to hear that we aren't where we want to be. What that is is an opportunity. And if we go back to the Good Samaritan who is my neighbor, the gentleman, the Samaritan who actually was the individual once to pass the young man on the road, he didn't take time to ask, are you my neighbor? He just knew that he was his neighbor just because he was a human being. And he did whatever he thought he could to take care of him and bring him to wellness. And for me, that's the great news, the excellent news, the hope in all of this. It's not what you do. It's that you do. And it's not who it is. It is just that you are. And that's Mm -hmm. the power in being a human being. You are enough. You have what it takes to be a great neighbor, to bring someone to fullness, to bring someone to wellness, to bring communities in par so that we all can enjoy the best of blessings that are afforded all of us. And when I mean afford, not that we can pay for, but that we can receive so that all of our cups continue to run over because there is enough for us all. And when we see that there's not enough for some, do what you can. And you do not what others tell you to do. You do what you can do. And you only do that which will make a difference in your life. And when I say that, that suggests that you reap what you sow and you Mm -hmm. sow good things and good things will come back to you. And so you can afford that. So that means you can afford to be good. Mm. Thank you for those powerful words of inspiration. I thank you so much, um, Kim, for being on the show um, today. It, it, this has been a powerful uh, journey, and, um, and, I, and I truly believe that someone out there um, who's listened to the show today has been touched by your message and all that you bring to know that each person is worthy, 
is worthy, and I think that is a powerful statement. So thank you again for, for you taking your time, as busy as I know you are, to, to be on the show today. And thank you. Thank you for having me. And I know that we're, we're, we're in a good place. We mm-hmm. are so saddened by the deaths and the illnesses, but mm-hmm. I am heartened by the point, by the fact that we are working, and I see so many people working together, even by just wearing face masks in public, because mm-hmm. when you're wearing a face mask, you're protecting others, and others are yes. protecting you when they're wearing face masks. So again, even if just doing that, that's community service. Social distancing is community service. But we are not social isolating. Reach out, mm-hmm. if not just virtually, but reach out in prayer for those who need us. And then when we are able, do whatever you think you can to support your neighbor. Exactly. Do your part, no matter how small. Thank you again for being on the show. I really appreciate um, you know, everything that you have spoken, your, your the powerful words, um, and truth, truth to power as well, um, that we could all make a difference. And thank you. Our, our listeners for tuning in to the Common Good Show with Juanita. You can catch us every week Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time um, in the Atlanta metro area, WDJY 99.1 FM, or outside of the Atlanta metro area, www.wdjyfm.com. Thank you again. Look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for tuning in to The Common Good Show with host Juanita. 